the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If I were to ask you to guess what is the oldest Protestant church in California, where is it located? You might think, well, maybe San Diego. San Diego's been around for a while. Or maybe up north in Sacramento. How about if we narrowed it down to San Francisco? Well, if you guessed San Francisco, you'd be absolutely right. In fact, a church whose roots go back so far and so deep that they even predate California as a state. Now, we entered the Union in September of 1850, but it was 1849 when First Baptist of San Francisco was formed in the city, and there it sits to this very day. Talk about a rich, deep, long history and heritage of ministry, and um, if you're familiar with this city and have ever been up Market Street along about Octavia, you see it right there on the corner, technically a 22-waller, and Octavia in San Francisco. Francisco. It is an iconic church with a pretty incredible history. And joining us to talk about not just the past, but most importantly, with an eye toward the future, is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of San Francisco, Pastor Ben Day. Pastor, great to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you, Craig. I'm so excited to be here. It must have been a bit intimidating, I would imagine, when you were first called to a First Baptist Church. Uh, you uh, began your ministry, your roots are in Louisiana, but coming out west here to California and all the stories you've heard about how crazy we Californians are, <laughs> let alone San Franciscans. Well, what was that initial experience like? How did it all come together? And I, and I suppose I might begin with yet another question kind of sandwiched in here, and that is that, uh, boy, you must have gotten uh, somebody's attention that you were called to pastor First Baptist of San Francisco literally as COVID was right doing its thing uh, along about August, September of 2020. So give us some of that background. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, you know, I, I don't think I knew the rich history of First Baptist San Francisco when I even sent my resume in to be considered for senior pastor. Um my wife and I were from Louisiana, and after I graduated from seminary, God had called us to Las Vegas, and we were really loving uh, being in ministry in somewhat of an unchurched context, but we were uh, in the suburbs of Las Vegas, and we felt God calling us to be in, in more of an urban setting, uh, downtown in a bigger city, and uh, felt like God had placed it on my heart to be a pastor of an established church, and so... With those things in my heart, I felt like God was just going to open up the right door. And so whenever I saw that First Baptist San Francisco, which is located down in the, the heart of the city, was looking for a senior pastor, I said in my resume, not really knowing much about it being a, a one of the oldest Protestant churches in the state and it's rich history, uh, I just knew that they, they didn't require me to have senior pastor experience to send in my resume, which was kind of rare. And so I sent in my resume and just prayed to the Lord that if this was um, of his will, then that he would lead us there. 
I think I said in my resume at the beginning of 2020, and uh, obviously, you know, the, the the pandemic really started to to take hold of our nation in March of that year. And so it was during this interview process as it was just beginning that the pandemic happened. And so as, as I was talking to the church, they, you know, were kind of up in the air as to how the, the, the pandemic was going to affect their pastor search. Uh, but the interim pastor at the time, uh, he said, I really think you need to, to find your next senior pastor and he needs to lead you out of this strange time. It will be a, an important experience for him. And so as God continued to, to lead the church and my wife and I in the direction of, of feeling like I was called to be the senior pastor of First Baptist San Francisco, uh, we accepted the call in uh, August of 2020 and, and moved here in September when everything was still really shut down. And it was a, a strange time to move to San Francisco, um, not being able to go inside anywhere or meet many people in person. Uh, but it was a really great experience for God to be able to uh, allow me to step into this role and help lead our church through this uh, really interesting time. You know, one of the things that I think that is awesome about being a part of a, a church with such a rich history is to to know that God has led you know, this church through these types uh, of times before. Uh, when we were going through the pandemic in, in 2020 and 2021, we found some pictures of First Baptist San Francisco during the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. And you know what? They were outside on Waller Street worshiping, and they were wearing masks. Uh, they weren't socially distanced. That was probably the only thing that, that they didn't have right at that time. But they were outside worshiping, wearing masks. And about 100 years later, we were outside in 2021 worshiping wearing masks and we put those pictures together just to say god is faithful to his church and and he'll lead us through um, a a variety of seasons so it was just a great comfort to step into that situation knowing god is is taking care of his church and i just get to be uh, a a part of that and and exciting to see not only the sense of certainly resilience of god's word that it that it never changes but also the resilience of god's people down through the generations now i most pastors certainly approach this with a sense of of a pastoral responsibility duty caring for feeding the the flock things of that sort but i would imagine given the trajectory of your ministry las vegas to san francisco that there must be a tremendous a missional sense about you and and your passion for ministry, given the fact that um, two cities in a row now, you've picked locations that aren't necessarily considered the the Bible Belt. (laughs) They're not even the Bible buckle or suspenders of the United States. So uh, talk to me a bit about that, that sense of what it means to be engaged in not only caring for a mature group of believers, but at the same token, knowing that the minute you open the front door and step outside, the mission field where for a lot is miles, if not continents away, and for you, it's literally feet away. Hmm. Yeah, you know, just to to speak to that, that trajectory that God's taken by my ministry on, when we were, my wife and I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we met at church and, and got married in our home church, and, and so our home church really loved us, and when when we told them we were being called to Las Vegas, you know, it was hard for them to uh, see us go, but they really felt like we were being called to the foreign mission field, going to Las Vegas. They didn't really know if there was even churches there, um, and so they sent us out to this, you know, this city, and then when I told 
told the people in Las Vegas that I was being called to San Francisco, the people in Las Vegas told me, well, you know, you're moving from quote unquote Sin City to the real Sin City when you go to San Francisco. And they thought they were sending us to the foreign mission field. And so it's been interesting to see how God has uh, continued to bring my wife and I along on this journey. Uh, and you're right. I think at the heart of it is a desire to um, engage those who, who don't yet know the gospel, uh, those who are outside the church. And what an opportunity it is to be on a mission field. Uh, in some ways, it's like a, a being in another country uh, where maybe the gospel isn't as prevalent. But the, the great thing is there's not a language barrier. Typically, uh, we are able to speak with people and share with them. But I think one thing that I've actually really um, loved about being in these contexts, one, I, I think just as we talk about pastoring and um, being at a church with mature believers, uh, what I find is that because, let's just say in San Francisco, it's not as culturally popular to go to church as it might be in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I find that those who come to church really want to be here. It's not just because they're their grandparents or their parents that always brought them to church, and now that's just what their family did. Uh, it's because they want to be at church. And so there is this a refreshing spirit about being in church in a place that, that doesn't have a lot of churches and, and the way that the believers are passionate about being there. But also when you have opportunities to share with those outside the church, I found in, in Louisiana so many times I had to convince people that they weren't Christians before they would listen to the gospel. So many people assumed they were Christians because, well, yeah, I've always gone, gone to church or I was raised as a, a Catholic or a Baptist or whatever. Um, but in, in the context of Las Vegas or San Francisco, most people are, are very ready to say they are not Christians. And so it, it takes away some of the, the back work that you might have to do in convincing people that they're not Christians um, before you can share the gospel with them. But I do think it, it requires uh, an intentionality to try to meet people where they are, where their uh, understanding already is, and make sure we're communicating uh, the good news of Jesus in a way that relates to them and in a way that they can understand it. Uh, sometimes we might... Um, just use language that's familiar to us in the church, you know, of sin and the Savior. Uh, but I find that in San Francisco, we have to be intentional not to change the message. The message doesn't change, but to be able to to make sure we share it in a way that relates to those people who have maybe no background or upbringing uh, within the church or are familiar with that. And so um, we love getting to to share with those people, and we try to be intentional about meeting them where they are and, and helping them know that uh, God loves them, there's a Savior who died for their sins and that they can they can know salvation through him uh, as they trust in Jesus. And, and fascinating sort of the, the paradigm shift uh, as you were sharing, thinking about differences between those that were raised perhaps in Christianity, they go to church on Sunday because, well, that's what they've always done. That's what mom and yeah. dad did. That's what grandpa and grandpa did. So this is what, we, what we've done and the way we choose to raise our children. But there's a greater sense of, of, of cultural Christianity about it, and I'm juxtaposing that against personal relational Christianity, which, which is what you're talking about, that I, that I go to church because it's not what I do, but rather who I am and how I identify. And it's interesting because when you come to a place like San Francisco, you know, Las Vegas is largely tourism very transitory in in the sense that people come and stay for the weekend and then they're gone here in San Francisco 
it, it's a bit of a different story in that you've got folks that are, are, are here to stay, that have come for job opportunities, high tech, the weather, whatever the case might be, certainly not for the cheap housing, I might add, <laughs> but <laughs> that they're here and oftentimes fit in that sort of nuns category that we're hearing about uh, these days, N-O-N-E, meaning yeah. that they have come from parts of the world where they have never been exposed to Christianity. Maybe they've heard about Jesus, but in terms of having some sort of a foundational um, recognition of having been raised in the church or gone through catechism or things, they have none of that experience. And so to them, you almost start at ground zero in terms of introducing concepts of the existence of God and who God is and that he loves us so much and that he sent his son and things of that sort. Our conversation today with Pastor Ben Day. He is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the senior pastor of San Francisco's First Baptist Church, Pastor Ben Day. Pastor, let's return to our conversation. Let me ask you this. How has that shaped your ministry in terms of those differences between ministering to people that perhaps do church more because that's part of their history or part of their quote-unquote Christian culture versus ministering in a place where there are so many that have no connection or affiliation with that sort of historical quote-unquote cultural Christianity whatsoever? Yeah, I think, you know, when you... you are, are trying to reach people who have that background in, in Christian culture, even though they may not have that personal relationship themselves, you do have a foundation or a framework you can work from that they have an understanding maybe of some Bible verses or what the Bible teaches or what Jesus has done. And so what you're doing, I think, is you're trying to help them see how those things are are both true and that they need to be applied to their lives. When you're coming to a place like San Francisco where people maybe don't have any background in Christianity or uh, maybe have just some uh, assumptions that they they think this is what Christians are all about, uh, you kind of have to start at a different place. Um, I've been probably influenced a a lot by uh, Pastor Tim Keller. He, I think, is is part of the reason that I felt a call to the city. He, he really talks about the importance of um, churches being present and Christians being present in urban areas and being in the city. And uh, he, I don't think this was original to him, but, but one thing I heard him say was that when you're doing uh, – sharing the gospel with people maybe in these contexts like San Francisco or New York City where he was, you really have to to make people want to believe that Christianity is true and then show them that it is. In other words, there was a, a type of apologetics that maybe I'd grown up with that was just answering a lot of the objections or questions people had about Christianity. Mm-hmm. But in a place like San Francisco, people don't always have those questions or objections. They are really just kind of maybe somewhat ignorant towards what Christianity really teaches or believes. And so what you have to do is, I think, show them that the things that they long for, maybe it is um, 
satisfaction, you know, in their lives. Maybe it is a sense of community and, and people here in our city often struggle with loneliness. Maybe they want to see justice done in our city and, and people cared for. That those things that they, they find longings for are actually found in God and in the gospel, helping them to see that first and then showing them how it is true in what the Bible teaches and in what God has has done through Jesus. And so giving them this appeal that the the longings that are there in their their hearts and in their lives um, are real, uh, and they can only be met by the, the God who has created them. And so taking that that shift has been helpful to me in relating to people who maybe don't have that background or that experience with Christianity. Is it the difference then between telling the story, so to speak, versus living the story, uh, a demonstrative Christianity? And I ask that question because folks that have at least some sort of uh, religious framework, we'll call it, that perhaps we may be able to go in and intellectually argue for from archaeology, from history, all of these other things that feed into being able to demonstrably give an argument for the claims of Christ versus people that have none of that foundational framework. And so I would imagine then that the notion of demonstrating Christ living the life becomes even more important than in a setting like this. I think so. And I I think that's what Jesus taught us, right, in in the Sermon on the Mount about how he says you need to let your light shine. And he says, so that others see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So we have to be able to share the gospel using words, but Jesus himself said it's going to be our our actions, our good works that give people a reason to want to know about the hope that we have, to want to listen to the message that we have to share. And so I think it is important when maybe, especially people in San Francisco, maybe the only thing they know about Christianity is that they've heard that it is uh, oppressive or they heard that it is against their beliefs or lifestyle or something like that. I think it is really important to show, uh, like you said, demonstrating the power uh, of the gospel and the love of God to maybe those who are in need or or to those who might even disagree with us uh, to be able to... let our light shine, be the, the salt of the earth, as Jesus said, in, in hopes that they would um, see our good deeds and give glory to God. But even if they don't, we know that we're giving glory to God in the way that we are living and acting. Is there a lot of reliance, therefore, upon the 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 empowerment of the Holy Spirit in this sort of ministry? And I ask that question because I think of the, the upper room experience and the notion of the descending of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And for a lot of Christians, they grow up in in Judea. This is what they know. This is familiar to them. So the level of challenge is perhaps not as great. By the time you get to the uttermost parts of the earth, suddenly now it's every tribe, every culture, every tongue, even religious perspectives that are very unlike our own coming from different parts of the world. And that certainly is descriptive of what life looks like in San Francisco, the great melting pot, where you literally have people coming from every tribe, every tongue, every continent landing here. And now this is the mission field that you find in front of you. So I'm, I'm curious, Pastor Day, from your perspective, does reliance upon the Holy Spirit and sensitivity to where others are coming from really become penultimate when it comes to successfully sharing the gospel? Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. I think you really... Uh 
made the point well there, you know, as you were, were speaking about the fact that sometimes I, I think we're we're maybe least likely to depend upon the spirit when we're probably most comfortable. And so so many times if we're in a place where Christianity is is the norm, if you will, or as part of the culture, uh, we can, not everybody, I know there's certainly a lot of people that rely on the Holy Spirit then, but I think that's maybe when we're most tempted to rely on our own power. I think when you're in a place like San Francisco, which is really in many ways the mission field, and, and you're just recognizing many of our members just at their work, students at their school, that what they believe is is not popular or, or not the, the prevalent view, that to be able to live this out and to hold on to these beliefs and to share these beliefs with others um, really is going to be a work of God in His Spirit. And so I'm not to say that that we as a church um, are always perfect and, and depending upon the Spirit. I think we could always grow. But I do think that the tough situations sometimes that we find ourselves in, or just recognizing that we might be in the minority as Christians in this city, uh, does force us to our knees in prayer, does help us to rely on the Spirit and His power to recognize this can really only be done by him. And, and that's really a, a great place to be when God brings us there in, in being reminded of our dependence upon him. Our conversation today with Pastor Ben Day. He is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the senior pastor of San Francisco's First Baptist Church, Pastor Ben Day. Pastor, I want to pick up where we left off a few moments ago. Undoubtedly, you and uh, and your wife, and I should mention you've got a couple of boys as well, did your research once the invitation letter came. Oh boy, pack up the car, folks. We're (laughs) we're heading west. Um, And in preparation for coming here, looking back over the three years now that you've been serving as senior pastor of uh, First Baptist Church of San Francisco, and I think you're what, like the 20th, 22nd pastor down through the years? I think it's 20. 22nd or 23rd, okay. I, so, I should probably know it off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, we'll, 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 that'll, that'll show up on a trivia question one day, <laughs> so be prepared. Uh, but but I'm <laughs> curious in terms of now that you've been here for three years, what has surprised you the most, contrary to maybe the research that you did and your expectations coming here, now that you've been here, what has surprised you the most in a good way, and, and what have you found in your ministry to perhaps be most challenging? Well, you know, I think one thing that has surprised me is that uh, I think people just assume that that those in San Francisco are, are are not open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I have not found that to be the case. I, I find that the people in the city, um, and I've moved here at a really interesting time during the pandemic, and so I don't know what it was like before, uh, but I, I think maybe just even this time in our world has forced people to ask a lot of questions about the meaning and purpose of life, about um, a hope beyond this life, uh, when they start to recognize how easily a, a disease can spread and claim many lives. I think it's just opened up a lot of people to ask a lot of questions. And 
I've found that many people don't, you know, when they come and talk to me and I explain the gospel to them, you know, they don't automatically believe right there. Um, It's not that we've seen just a revival breakout necessarily, but I've seen a a great openness uh, amongst many people to uh, being curious to what is the the hope that Christians have? What is this good news that you claim to believe? And we have seen many come to to faith, even in my my few years uh, of being here. And so I, I think just the notion that people are closed off to uh, the gospel, the grace of God, is a, a really a misconception that um, I hope we can continue to break out of that, because I think it will help us to be more willing to share the gospel with those who we might assume are closed off. I think maybe one of the things that I was surprised by, um, I think I knew about it, but I think just being here is how complex the problems are of our city. You know, I think many times people will just hear the headlines of the number of those who are unhoused or those who are, um, you know, maybe the, the drug problems or some of the violent problems or different things that are happening in our city. And, and those problems are, are certainly there that you could maybe just read in the headline, but the problems themselves are much more complex because they involve people and people are complex. And, and the solutions are not so easy as we would like to think. And I found it really helpful to talk to people who have been in the city a long time, who have seen the complexity of these problems. And I think it leads them to to look beyond something that governments and policies aren't able to fix. They recognize that there's a, a deeper need, a deeper problem in our city. And I think it opens up opportunities to share about the gospel. So I think I've just been surprised by, you would think maybe, well, if we could just do this, then the problems are problems of our city would be fixed, or this is the simple solution. And the the problems are quite complex, but I think it does make people open to answers they haven't considered, which is even the the spiritual needs of people. And remarkably so. I mean, if if we take a look at all of this through the lens of Scripture, I think ultimately we keep coming back again and again, whether you're talking about poverty, homelessness, drug abuse, whatever the scenario might be, so often it comes back to problems that manifest themselves in these very public outward ways, but that at the core are really internal problems, meaning they are spiritual problems, and who else has the best answer to address uh, spiritual depravity or spiritual needs than the church itself? Yeah, that's right. I, I've been, you know, just so um, surprised by the conversations I've had with people who've been in the city for a long time, and they're just, you know, a, a bit, not I wouldn't say confused, but they're just a bit perplexed as to why the different solutions haven't worked. And I think it's because they're missing that that key component of the spiritual nature of people. And not that we don't need to address physical and emotional needs and, and, and mental needs as well, but when we leave out that spiritual component, it, it leaves a large gap. And so I do think that it, it's provided me with a lot of opportunities to speak to some of the ways that people need to be cared for, maybe a little bit more holistically, and it has opened up opportunities to talk about the, the need for the church and the need for the gospel, as well as meeting other needs here in our city. So this really comes back full circle then to to the notion that if you want to see an outward change, it requires an inward change, and that begins at the heart. 
And yeah. so as much as to suggest that, listen, there are great 12-step programs out there for somebody that's struggling with addictions. But if you really want to have a life-changing experience to the core that not only changes your behavior at your head, but also your motivation at your heart, it really comes down to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And who better suited to share that good news than the church. So in in a sense, and I've had this conversation with several pastors now, that historically we've kind of coming off of the wave of of the 1970s uh, Jesus movement and then seeing into the 1980s the so-called me generation as Ronald Reagan once uh, labeled it and and some some of the the increase in in behavior and depravity and all of this and we think to ourselves well we're clearly moving into a a post-Christian era but I had one person, uh, one pastor rather recently say, you know, I got an entirely different viewpoint on this. Instead of the glass half empty, I see it as half full. I don't see us as being post-Christian, but rather pre-Christian. And particularly in a place like San Francisco, where there are so many people that they're, they're not folks that have rejected the gospel. They're folks that have never heard the gospel. What a delightful place yeah. to find the church in today where we are granted this wonderful opportunity to be able to go and, and address felt needs just the way Jesus did. And then talk about this incredible Savior that wants to have a personal relationship with you. I mean, in my mind then, the doors are flung wide open that wherever you go, there are people that are in need of this message. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you look at the early church, the way that the gospel spread, that was obviously a pre-Christian world, you know, that they did not have the the gospel before that, but uh, the gospel spread through the Roman Empire, and it was done, you know, by, by some quote-unquote missionaries or church leaders, but I think it was mostly done by ordinary church members sharing with those family members, those friends in their their network. And I, I think it uh, shows us that the, the gospel uh, has the power to, to work in those environments. And so I think sometimes when we, uh, yeah, when we look at our, our, our nation or specifically maybe our state or region or our city, San Francisco, it can be easy at times to get discouraged with where things are, the problems that we face. But I think when we just look at the way God has worked in, in the long view of through his church and through his people, uh, but then even maybe just more recently, uh, I think it's very encouraging to see that uh, there is a great opportunity, and, and God's done this type of work in a pre-Christian environment before. He's doing it all around the world, and so why not do it right here in San Francisco? Why not do it right here in our country? Our conversation today with Pastor Ben Day. He is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church of San Francisco. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the senior pastor of San Francisco's First Baptist Church, Pastor Ben Day. Pastor, I want to pick up where we left off a few moments ago. Does that long view, as you suggest, Pastor Day, also give us the notion that we need to rethink our approach? You know, for a long time, there was sort of the uh, the Lone Ranger approach to Christianity, meaning we could rent a hall, let's invite folks to show up, Billy Graham will come, he'll speak, he'll give an altar call, and uh, we go about our way, as opposed to the notion of... 
one plants, one waters, the other one harvests, that it's in the long view approach, perhaps, if I'm, if I'm not reading too much into your statement here, uh, that it is teamwork. And so instead of feeling as if the totality of the burden is on us, we must re- reach them, bring them to the altar, and begin to disciple them, which is nothing wrong with that, and it can and does happen. But the bigger notion of all of us playing different roles in impacting different lives for Christ around us, that it may not just be a one and done, but more of a process. And then I think that takes some of the burden off that we recognize, hey, just because I didn't share with somebody the gospel, talk about the four spiritual laws, bring out a you know a, a little pamphlet written by Bill Bright, and they came to Christ right then and there, but rather see my role as planting, watering at different levels, and then trusting the Lord of the harvest to bring about the fruit. Is, is that what you're saying? I think that's part of it, for sure. We were we were just doing a, a class at our church on sharing your faith, and our associate pastor was teaching the class this past week, and he was just pointing out that there are places in Scripture we have from the Apostle Paul where he doesn't lay out the, the, the full gospel, if you will, but rather he drops these gospel nuggets that would help people to think to that, that is either planting a seed or watering, as you suggested. And so how could we just talk about God and the gospel in our everyday conversations, not feeling the pressure to always, you know, call people to decision. Not that we shouldn't do that at times, but then also recognizing that, that you know, our church is not the only place people are going to get saved. Um, that the the big view or the long view uh, is that, that teamwork of even other churches. I, I found that uh, here in San Francisco, because there are less churches per person than many other parts of our country, I find that there's a greater camaraderie camaraderie amongst churches. In my few years of being here, even during a time like like COVID where it was hard to get together with people, I've experienced more connection with other pastors, especially across denominational lines, than I ever did in Las Vegas or in Louisiana, because I think we really feel like we need each other as fellow pastors. And I was going to say, you know, what's what's ironic about that is that it it goes back to what we had mentioned earlier. It's less about doing church, more about being church, and and the picture that you you paint of across denominational lines and all being together as one. Where have I heard that before? Oh, that's right. (laughs) In heaven. And Jesus himself praying that we all might be one. And if folks think they're going to line up at the pearly gates and there's going to be the Presbyterian gate and there's going to be the Baptist gate and it, that's not going to it's not going to be like that. So in yeah. some sense, what you're pointing to is the church working and cooperating together, because guess what? That's exactly the way God wants us to function. That's exactly right. And again, so many times it's it's easier it's it's easier to fall into the temptation to not work together when you have the let's say the resources or the ability to kind of be independent as a church but when you find yourself in a place like san francisco where many times you need each other to be able to do a youth event or be able to have this outreach or just need to be able to encourage each other we tend to um, fall out of that temptation to think that we need to do it on our own or or see these other churches as competition and really 
really cooperate with each other and work together as a team to see our city reached with the gospel. I think you and your trajectory of ministry from Louisiana to Las Vegas to San Francisco uh, bring a breath of fresh air to San Francisco. And and, and what a delight uh, to know that you're now there and uh, leading this church that has such an incredible history and and built upon generations of you know the faith of our fathers, so to speak, at First Baptist Church San Francisco, and with an appreciation for the history and an eye toward the future and seeing what God is going to do in and through the ministry of First Baptist, not only for this current generation, but for generations to come, is exciting and encouraging, and I think all of us should really get a, a sense of excitement and enthusiasm uh, over what God is doing. Toward that end, for folks that have been eavesdropping on our conversation today, Pastor Day, and say, wow, you know, I, I, I like what this guy has had to share, and it just happens to be that my family's new here in the Bay Area, too. We're looking for a church home, and they want to perhaps know more about what God is doing at First Baptist of San Francisco. Tell us more. Yeah, well, I think, like you said, we are a church with a a rich history, and I believe with a, a bright future. And we're really excited about what God is doing in our church. As you mentioned, our church, one of the oldest Protestant churches uh, in California, maybe the oldest Baptist church in California, started in 1849. That means here in 2024, we're celebrating our 175th birthday. And so uh, this fall in September, we're going to have a big celebration and we're going to invite some uh, old members and those who've had connections to our church to come. And it's going to be a great way to uh, celebrate as a church. But we want to celebrate not just what God's done at First Baptist, but what God's done in the Bay Area. He's been faithful to this area for so long. And so many people see it as, as just a, a spiritual wasteland, if you will. But, but God's been doing things not just at First Baptist, but in many churches. And so this is a year where we are celebrating. Celebrating what God has done, and we'd love to invite people to come and to to celebrate those uh, that that faithfulness of God and the way He's worked through His people. But we also want to look towards the future, and uh, we've got a, a great opportunity where God has placed us. As you mentioned, we're really in the the center of the city. We're at the the corner of of Market and Waller Street. We have the. Uh, excuse me, Waller and Octavia, or Market and Octavia, uh, we have the opportunity to reach the people that God's placed around us. And and this year, we've got a couple of opportunities uh, to be able to really pray about how God wants us to reach our, our own neighborhood and how God wants us to be a part of reaching our city. Uh, we've recently started back after the pandemic, uh, a ministry of, of ministering to those who are unhoused or those who are really in need. And we've just seen it as a great way to build relationships outside the, the church and to, to really live out the gospel as you were speaking about earlier. So if people are, are looking for a church home and they really want to find a church that is active in the community, that is uh, meeting the needs of people, that is something that we're striving to do and something we want to grow in. And we would love for more people to join us that we might be able to continue to, uh, to live out the gospel more and to meet more needs of the community within our congregation. I think we have to be one of the more diverse churches that I've ever been a part of. I, I mean, just about in every aspect, generationally, socioeconomically, ethnically and racially, we are a very diverse church. And I love that aspect of it because you will find that that there are many people with different 
perspectives, different experiences, but yet we're all unified in the love of God and the the experience of, of what God is doing in our lives uh, as we trust in Jesus Christ. And so what we have found is that in our diversity, God's working together a great unity to bring us together to be able to do his mission. And with that diversity, we've got a lot of different programs. We've got, you know, ministries for for young children, for youth, our, our youth ministry for our middle school and high school students is is really strong right now. Uh, we're seeing our youth uh, growing in their faith and connecting with those in their school, and we're even working with other youth groups in the city to uh, to do some exciting things. Uh, we've got young professionals, those tech workers that moved to the Bay Area and San Francisco, or uh, those who, who God's just brought here more recently, or we've got older members who've been in the city a long time. I think what you'll find is that when you come to First Baptist San Francisco, you'll find someone who's probably a lot like you and many other people who are very different from you, but yet we're all brought together by the gospel, and it's a really refreshing experience um, to, to have that. And so I would say if people are are wanting to come to a church that uh, is involved in the community and, and wants to come to a church where they can grow with people who um, are, are different from them, but also very much alike them, uh, like them in, in what they uh, believe and place their hope in, then that our church is a, a great place that you should check out. And what a joy it must be to uh, pastor a church where the opportunities are so great and where the congregation looks so much like heaven. If you want to get more information about First Baptist Church of San Francisco, you can check them out online, firstsf.com. That's firstsf, think San Francisco, firstsf.com. Again, they meet at 22 Waller Street at Octavia. Some might know it better as Market at Octavia in San Francisco. Worship times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Of course, there's Bible study for all ages at 9 a.m. And so we invite you to come on down, check it out, and be a part of this vibrant, growing church that's got a 175-year history and so many years yet ahead. Our thanks to Pastor Ben Day, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church of San Francisco, for being with us today. Pastor, what a delight to get a chance to know you. Thank you so much, Craig. I've really enjoyed this opportunity. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.